Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. So I want to welcome everyone to this great conversation with Yvette Curry. We, we first met several years ago when I was speaking on an aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf. And I was on that aircraft carrier because Yvette had heard me previously in San Diego speaking at military hospital, if I remember correctly. And yes. she's a resiliency officer who helped bring me on to the aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf. So Yvette, for those who don't know, what is a resiliency officer? Well, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, It's a deployed resiliency counselor, uh, basically as a civilian clinician that goes out as ship's company and deploys all over the world with the sailors and assists in um, uh, managing some of the stressors that go on hand in hand with, with doing a deployment. And you said something really key there, that you are a civilian clinician. Yes. So you're not in rank, you're not active duty, you have not been active duty, although somebody could have been, but you're in your case, you were not. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly right. And um, so that is, that's a pretty new, um, it's a pretty new situation that they're, they're bringing aboard to have civilian clinicians. So it's quite an honor to be part of that. Yeah. In addition to you, for those who are not aware, the military is what's called sexual assault response coordinators. These are people who are designated to conduct training on sexual assault to help survivors in the cases of sexual assault, really the A disease of sexual assault support. And here's where it's unique with the resiliency role. Now, you also are in that role, correct? I was previously uh, trained in that role, and now I am I'm providing support um, as the uh, the SARCs, the SARCs, uh, primarily are operating out of off of land. So I'm kind of I'm collaborating with them from the ship, basically. Okay, so when you're on the ship, you're acting as them in a way. I know you're not technically, but in a way in that role. All right, right. excellent. Now, for to help everybody understand and get a vibe for the support you're able to provide. Can you explain what life on an aircraft carrier is like? Cause you're gone for six months at a time before sometimes you can return back to home base in, in this case, San Diego, but wherever home yeah. base may be for the, for the Navy. Right. Right. It's, it can be pretty extensive. The, the deployment I met you on was actually 10 months. Um, they're not all like that. And, um, and there are in-betweens kind of workups where they go out for like three weeks at a time or a month at a time. So, uh, day in and day out is uh, kind of going along with the flow that the sailors do. Um, their their tempo is a lot more intense than mine as a civilian, um, but it is getting a chance to be up front, um, front row, and see how they um, their daily life. Um, waiting in lines for basically everything: food, the restroom. Um, I didn't have uh, I didn't have it quite that difficult um, occasionally, but 
Um, I had it much easier aboard the ship than they did. Because you, you were probably more, if I understand correctly, living more the life of an officer would be living. Is that correct? When you're on yes. the ship? Yes. Yes. Right. So Absolutely. you have different facilities. You have, right. And for yeah. those who aren't aware, there are different facilities uh, for those who are officers. And if, from whether it's where you're eating to to where the the difference in the rooms can be as far as that goes. So all that plays in. And I think what people don't realize is they hear, oh, well, our Navy's not in an active war time. So they just do experiments and exercises when they're out there. And I don't think they realize that's just not true. Like when I was out there, I mean, it was really amazing to see because we had breaks between my trainings that I presented and so I got to go up on the deck and these planes were taken off with missiles on them to drop on situations that were occurring in countries that we're all aware of as far as the Taliban are trying to, sh- you know, attack. But we were we were bombing, which is what we do in some of these things. I don't think that a lot of Americans realize that's actually what's going on out there. These people are under high stress situations. They're Absolutely. Apt actual military practice, not I shouldn't say practice, hits. They're they're making direct hits. Uh this is life and death situations. Absolutely. It is quite intense and the likes of which I have never seen. <laughs> I've never seen human beings working so hard around the clock in my life. And it is uh it is real life scenarios and um on an aircraft carrier you know, planes are taking off sometimes um, during their their flight operations, like every thirty seconds. So the the amount of orchestration to make that happen is I, I call it the Olympics of flying. I've just, it's just oh, it's incredible. So uh, yeah, yeah, for our listeners, I was I was fortunate because they took me up on the deck while they were taking off. And if for anybody who's ever seen one of those Air Force commercials where you see the plane taking off from the aircraft carrier and it's an amazing shot, I was closer than that. When these things were taking off, and it is mind-boggling, the <laughs> volume, the energy that's flying through, you're literally going through your body as these planes go by, uh, it's unreal, and every takeoff is life or death, and every landing is a whole nother ball game because they have to hit yeah. that cable. If they don't hit that cable, massive situations can take place. So absolutely, it's life or death. And you said something that a lot of people don't realize too. And I think setting this scenario is so important for this conversation, which is when they're not sleeping, they're pretty much working because it's an aircraft carrier. So it's not like you're going back to your place on a nine hour, eight hour shift. Uh, You're working. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Yes. And they, they've got split shifts and shifts that are, are consistently changing um, which uh, it really messes with their sleep cycle. Um, so they might be working for 12 hours, and then they might have four hours off, and then they go back to work, and then they have maybe a full night. They try to get a full night's sleep, um, and then they go back to work, and it's, um, it, it is, um, it's a very upending schedule. So that was, a, that was definitely a big part of what I was uh, working with them on is that exhaustion. So how do you help them? Because you're a believer of mindfulness practice. And how do you help that many? I mean, we're talking for people who don't realize. I think that day, I think I spoke to around 2,500. But I think there were more than that on the ship, actually, at the time. Uh, I think we did like two audiences of 1,200, roughly like that. Uh, How do you, with over 2,000 people, help them individually with what they need to be in a place of mindfulness or peace of mind for quiet in their mind, the stresses they deal with. Well, it is, uh, it's, it's actually over 
5,000, closer to 6,000 people once all the, once all the squadrons are aboard the ship. Um, and, uh, they have mass ways of getting the information out. You know, they have a closed circuit television on the ship. So there would be times when, you know, there would be certain trainings um, that I would be providing for them over closed circuit television. They have publications on the ship. So they have a magazine that comes out, a glossy magazine that comes out every week. And um, So they have their own magazine printing or is that being shipped in on one yes. of the helicopters? Their own magazine printing. They okay. have, it is a little city in there. It is a little uh, city. I just don't remember seeing yeah. the print shop. <laughs> That's yeah. When I got the and, tour, right. <laughs> and they've got, and it's a quality product. Uh, and then daily, like a daily newspaper as well. So those are ways to get the word out mass in mass, um, the way you did it, which was basically an all hands call where they were asking everyone on the ship to come see you and split it in half. Yeah. I think that now that I remember it wasn't 1200, it was around 2000 at each presentation. You helped me oh, remember yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so when people would come in and see me individually, um, it would be promoting more of the, the concepts that are discussed a lot on this show, a lot of the mindfulness. And, and I see it as personal empowerment, self-efficacy, um, ways of almost like um, superseding your challenges, you know, the challenge of exhaustion, the challenge of maybe a supervisor who is irritating or, you know, not your style of, of uh, a leadership, uh, maybe stuff coming in from home that is disruptive that, you know, they don't have control over, something, something going wrong at home with the, with the car, with the house. So trying to find ways of superseding those externals and getting control over what they do have control over, which is themselves and their reactivity and their emotional regulation and the way they set their tone for the day. And are you able – is mindfulness a word the military is open to and exploring and teaching? Oh, yeah. It is. Um, to me, it, it's awesome. I mean, they are, they are providing trainings that are, are taking a look at the mind-body connection. You know, the big hospital here, um, that actually that, that campus that you were speaking on, you know, they, they provide uh, mind-body connection trainings, which include mindfulness and yoga practice. And um, it is definitely something that they're seeing value in. Yeah. I love it because I know I get to see these inner workings. So I, I knew the answer sort of before I asked it, but I wanted, to, I wanted to come from you because I think it's really important for people to realize our military is working really, really, really hard on trying to address mental health. And a lot of times the, the areas that they're still struggling with is what makes the news. And those are important areas that we need to discuss working on improving. But at the same time, we need to understand how much is being proactively done to help. So what are ways that you can share that the military takes such a proactive view on this? Like you mentioned, hey, they want to teach the mind-body. So are there specific programs teaching meditation? What are the skills and strategies you most frequently get to teach in these high-stress situations? It is a – I get the opportunity to bring together – the, the information, like the cutting-edge research, uh, the brain science, uh, as it applies and that, as they can pay attention to with their limited time, energy, and attention span. So um, I'm given the freedom, the DRCs, that's the acronym, are given the freedom to put together trainings um, to address specifics in the individual departments. You know, there are individual personalities 
in these multiple departments that are aboard a ship. And so um, I'll get guidance from the leadership of what, what, what are some of the trends that their, their groups are struggling with and then put something together for them, like a resilience package type training for them. So you get to custom design. Yeah, and that that part is is awesome. I just never, you know, coming from outside the military, I never imagined um, that level of creativity would be possible. Um, receptivity to something that is considered, you know, well, it's not so much considered a soft science now because the research is demonstrating mindfulness alters your brain patterns. Um, and it affects your, you know, your prefrontal cortex, your amygdala. So it's more of a hard science now, but even so, I, it surprised me to know that the military would be receptive to that, encouraging to that, and asking for that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And yeah. for, for those who are not in the military and those in the military who are living what they feel like is high-stress life situations, because as you and I both know, some of those high-stress situations we're referring to are not military-related you know, their family's back home in a high-stress situation that's taking place with a child or a spouse or a loved one. So they're dealing with many of the same things that many people listening right now could be listening to who are not in the military. What are, you, what are the three key skill sets you like to teach the individual to help in those moments, those high-stress situations? Well, I, I break my trainings down, um, interestingly, into three points um, for them to wrap their attention around um, for resilience, which to me en- encompasses all these things we're talking about. Um, and I, f- I take a look at the quality of relationships and um, how they go about interacting with signi- significant others, or if not, the, the other is not significant. Um, those, you know, loved ones, family, um, colleagues, it all applies. And um, I take a look at a process called fair fighting. And that seems to be a a language that is acceptable within the military Um, rather than something that sounds a little more, I call it, you know, hippie whippy therapisty. I try to give them something like a package, you know, almost like naming it something like a boot camp or something like that. But it is um, taking a look at um, the ability to um, handle, handle fighting and handle, handle differences of opinion and withhold reactivity um, and, you know, that, that goes hand in hand with mindfulness, um, because that's, that's addressing emotional regulation. Um, so when I get into the second part, emotional regulation, I, I take a look at, um, um, ways to develop that, which include meditation and mindfulness and really do a lot of comparisons to, you know, successful professional athletes, um, and how they're using this. And that seems to be, something people perk up as, at as well. You know, NFL players are using this. You know, champion gymnasts are using this. Um, and then the third part that I address with them is is their rest. You know, the amount of control they have over their environment to get that rest. Um, if your mind is not at ease, it's going to be racing. So... Is there a chicken and egg? Is there a chicken and egg there? Because I know a lot of people who oh, yeah. say, well, what do you mean rest? My mind won't rest, so I can't get the sleep I want. You're telling me to get sleep to help my mind be more stressful. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, absolute, absolute chicken and egg. Yes. So I'm trying to look at the external and the internal. So a lot of the externals, they don't have control over, you know, some in, in getting in their, let's say getting into their rack, getting into their, 
triple stacked bunk beds at night. And literally um, people listening, that's what these are. These are literally metal bunk beds right on top of each other in a tight room. Yes, a tight room. And as far as the eye can see, you just look down the corridor and it's all these beds triple stacked as far as the eye can see. Right. And it's called hot bedding because the moment I get out of mine, somebody else gets in it. And so therefore it's still warm from my body. <laughs> there you go. I didn't realize that was the, 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 the way they came up with that. Um, so the, the parts they actually have control over, you know, they can't control their schedule getting changed all over the place. Um, but uh, them getting into bed and, you know, that, for example, using all the electronic devices as you're laying in bed, that, the, the LED lights and all that, that tells your body it's daytime. So that's one thing to try and cut down on that. Great for all um, of us to think about. <laughs> yes, it, all of us included. Um, taking a look at the amount of, um, you know, I noticed on the, the ship that we both, you and I both met on, um, they were drinking a lot of energy drinks and that they were just carted, like carts and caseloads of energy drinks were being brought on that ship to help with this. But ultimately, they drink enough of those energy drinks, they're not going to be able to go to sleep. Um, so having some moderation with that. Um, and then uh, as far as the, the like their workouts going, if, they're, if their time was so limited, if they were working out just before bed, that wakes your body up too. So trying to put just a little, a little distance between um, some of these activities and bedtime. And then, um, and, and, then, and working out yeah. you know, on an exhausted schedule period can cause, <laughs> which is difficult for them because, you know, you got to do PT and you got to stay up with all the minimum standards, but trying to squeeze a workout in every day when you don't have to, like if there's not PT, there's not something like that going on, it's okay to rest. And it's tough for that mindset, isn't it? Of that achiever. Oh, oh my gosh. Absolutely. It, this is the stuff we're, discussing here is not easy it's all tough and i have tremendous respect for the ability um for them to just uh grind through all this stuff for 10 months i just i couldn't do it i couldn't well, do what they but do that, but that's also why your role is so critical and why it's become great the military's taking this on let's go back to what you said with the it, i'm gonna say it wrong was it fair fighting Fair fighting. Yes. Fair fighting. Because, I mean, a lot of couples could use that, right? As far as relationships yes. and how we handle that. So what are, the, what are those keys? Let's say somebody's going, I need to be better at that. I tend to get very upset very quickly. My emotions rise very fast. So what are some keys to somebody in their own home fair fighting? It could be with their children, right? We know people who yep. struggle with that. What are some keys yes. to that? Well, this um, this ties right in with uh, with the term emotional regulation, and taking a look at you know one's own impulse, one's own bodily responses, like physiological responses as well as emotional, um, noticing signs of getting agitated, which could be it could be a lot of things like tapping your foot, pacing, clenching your fist, jaw. Um, taking a look at that. And using that as an indicator, I'm getting to, I'm getting upset. Um, a lot of times, people will go to a point where it is they they cross the I don't care what I say anymore line, and um, and you know worst case scenario worst case scenario is crossing the I don't care what I do line. So I I take a look at people you know doing preemptive preemptive work where they are. Um, they're taking a look at their physiological signs and then 
other things. I give them examples like, say you're, you know, you're emailing or Facebooking um, with your significant other across the ocean, and you are, your hands are hovering over the keyboard in vibrating anticipation to fire off a missive, you know, this thing that you must, it must be said. Um, that's a good sign that it's not to be said. And so in the flesh, having that same sensation, you know, I absolutely have a good one that I'm going to, I'm going to rip, you know, and I'm going to get you just like you got me. That's the sign to not do it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of this is, is, is uh, preventative. But you have to be very aware of your bodily f- reactions. And so many of us aren't. So I think one of the keys for that, if you're listening going, I don't even know what I do when I start today, start to pay attention. Look back, yeah. all right? When it's happening and you start to notice it's happening, going, all right, what am I feeling differently? Where am I tensing up? Uh, when I walk away, where am I sore, right? Literally, sometimes you can have a sore shoulders because you're tensing up. Well, that tells yes. you what happened. You were tensing up. So if you feel those shoulders moving up, uh, that could be a sign. Um, you use certain phrases with your partner, right? You start using certain language that you don't normally use. Uh, though These can all be markers to tell me, Whoa, whoa, I need to make this fair, and I'm starting to make this an attack. Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, an analogy I would use or a visual for the visual people is I think of, for those who know what a film strip is, <laughs> you know, looking at the individual squares of the film strip and slowing down an interaction. You know, maybe looking in the past and going, okay, what happened at this moment? Then what happened? Then what, I, what did I do? And then what, what did he or she do or say? And where could I, at that moment, have backed down, changed course, done it differently? I love it. And I, I was in a program years ago where they talked about what really happened versus my interpretation of what happened, mm-hmm. which I thought was really powerful. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, she got mean. Did she get mean or did she say something that you thought was mean? Uh, well, mm-hmm. then you repeat what they said. Well, that doesn't sound mean. So <laughs> it wasn't that they said something, you know, and you start to break it down. You're like, oh, man, I'm, I've created these stories. Yes. And we we all do it. We all create a story. We all attach a narrative to an event, to a word. We We all do it. So paying attention to the narrative that we are placing on top of typical statements that is really, really key. That is really important. I love this. This is great stuff. So let's go to the step two, which is meditation, which on this show we have talked a lot about as far as meditation, mindfulness. But you said something unique, which a lot of people might not realize. And this has been true for 20-some years. Top athletes have used things like visualization, mindfulness for years, but we just don't talk about it in the mainstream. So what is the research showing with athletes using mindfulness? Well, according to um, according to the brain uh, scans that we can we can take a look at what's heating up inside the brain. Essentially, you know the fMRIs and the different types of reading of brain activity. Meditators have a have a thickened prefrontal cortex, um, and the reason why that's important is because the prefrontal cortex is the executive functioning center, the reason center. For us, so when we're more reasonable in our decision making, um, when we have choice, a, sh- a smorgasbord of choice in front of us, um, we aren't going to get so triggered and react in a way that might be detrimental to us or our performance, to our relationships, or to our performance on on the field or on the track. 
Um, in addition, uh, the the mindfulness meditators um, are shown in those um, in those fMRIs and those different brain scans to have sh- uh, shrinking amygdalas, which is basically your aggression center, your fight or flight center. So that's basically saying you aren't going to be as governed or as run by your emotion. That's powerful, really powerful to see you see it on both sides. Right, that it's shutting down the reactive side, but strengthening that thoughtfulness side at the same time. That's pretty much what you're saying, right? That it does both at the same time? Yes. Awesome. Okay, very cool. Uh, and so now the third piece, right? So that that's the, we got the first two pieces there. And that third of vinyl piece, and I'm just having a brain freeze right now. What was the third piece, Yvette? Um, the third piece was rest. Rest, that's right. Okay, now this is where we talked about shutting off LED and electronics. And really for people listening, what's important there is it, it's not just shutting it off right before you walk in your bedroom. They say, research, two hours at least before bedtime, you shouldn't have the blue light, the LED hitting you. Is that correct? That's what I've heard, but I don't know how accurate that is. It is the it is the ideal and try so you're it's accurate and trying to uh, trying to work with the schedules of these guys who are you know on the flight deck who are you know getting ready to pass out they're so exhausted they have such little time I tell them if they could do you know kind of create a window there of thirty minute at least thirty minutes and do they report back hey that really helped what it, what what they report back on is. Uh, you know they have they have such limited time. They they long to get onto their electronics. They long to escape, um, uh, just to kind of change the channel on the day. So it is it is a bit of a struggle to a convincing job uh, to to point out the enhancements if they do this. Which is interesting because most of us turn to that stuff out of a boredom and addiction for the brain to do something. They're turning to it because it's their only chance to see the outside world. Yeah, that's yeah, that's part of it. The outside world and and I see it just, you know, like I've talked to a few people who have said I'm I'm working and I'm sleeping. You know, I want to have a life. Right. Yeah, and that's what I meant by the outside world. Something beyond work, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, where most of us honestly are not after you're on it for 15 minutes, you're not on it to to just connect up and see what you missed. And you're on it because you're in an addictive mode. I need more. My brain needs to, to be entertained. And Facebook is that addiction. And that, that's what we've discussed in the past here on the show and how powerful that is. So I think it's important for us to remember, look, if I was in the military on one of these aircraft carriers, I might have 15 minutes where I'd even have a chance to do this a day. What if I treated the fifth? I did that intentionally. I said, I'm going to intentionally only spend 15 minutes, but I'm going to give it my everything with those 15 minutes because that's the only 15 I'm going to give it. Do you think that would help people step away from Facebook who are not in the military? It's it, people being motivated enough to do it. I definitely think it would help if people would actually do it. Yes. Um, I try to tie in statistics as well, not to scare people, um, but to try and give them maybe a little more impetus to to, to change things up. Um, looking at some of the statistics out there right now of um, you know the the addiction to um, to social media and some of the uh, some of the statistics the statistics on what's happening with younger people taking their lives. Um, I take a look at uh, the disconnectedness that people. Um, 
experience in today's society who are who are prone a little bit more to suicidal ideation and how just connecting to a live human um, can change that up dramatically. Um, so I kind of try to bring in those types of factors too to get some some motivation for change. This has been awesome. I, Yvette, I love this conversation. I think it's really great for people to hear a perspective of the stress of an aircraft carrier life to their own life where it's maybe not as stressful, but there are people listening who've got that kind of stress level in their everyday life who are not in the military. So I think this is wonderful. Is there a book that if you could give it to everybody to help them with those high levels of stress life that you would want them to read? And it doesn't have to be one. Maybe it's two or three. You can't pick one. But is there is there at least one that you can think of? That's an interesting question. I, I can't think of anything on stress off the top of my head. I tend to... Uh... I tend to kind of go go around the the horn a little bit when I'm when I'm recommending books uh, to try and get them jump started. Um, so how I'll answer that is um, if I'm if I'm dealing with somebody who's struggling in in the relationship, you know, I'll um, I'll recommend the Seven Principles of Highly Successful Marriages by John Gottman. Um, that is a um, gets into fair fighting. That gets into some proactivity. Um, if I'm uh, taking a look at somebody individually um, that could use some some personal motivation, I might recommend Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Absolutely. Great book. Yeah. Um, but just so what I mean by that is just hitting stress straight on. I feel like, at least here in this population, people have heard that term so much that they, they just gla- they glaze over. So I really attempt to to go around topics and hit them from from a variety of uh, angles, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, no, that's great. And we're going to have those book links in our show notes. For anyone listening, you can find and directly link to the books because those are great, great resources. Yvette, I want to thank you. This has been so, I think, enlightening for a lot of people who do not have a concept of what that kind of stress can be, but also all the tools and skills you gave us for everyday forms of stress that we may be experiencing. So I want to thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Absolutely. And for everyone listening out there, I hope you make today and every day you find a little bit of mindfulness in each day between now and the next time we talk. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.